Well, good morning, everyone. I almost fell coming up the steps, but we made it up, so we're good. Thank you all for your warm welcome. It's lovely to be able to worship with you this morning here at Windsor. And usually when I'm in this hall, there's a lot less adults here, so I will try and, and remember that. But it's lovely to see one of my best answers of questions when I'm usually in this hall here today. So uh, if I have any questions, Adrian, will you answer them for me? Good man. So uh, it's lovely to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, or if you just like to listen along, we're going to be reading from John chapter 3 this morning. And John chapter 3 has meant a lot to me recently, just in my own readings, and as I've been working through it um, as well. And we're going to maybe look at a section in John chapter 3 that we're not as familiar with. We're very familiar with the story of Nicodemus, and we're very familiar with uh, John three sixteen, God so loved the world. But here at the end of John chapter 3, we have this little narrative of uh, John the Baptist, and as I've looked at the life of John the Baptist recently, it's really spoken to me. And there's one of the, the best phrases, I think it is, to, to sum up the Christian life and to sum up serving God in this passage. And it's found in verse 30. But we're going to read from verse 22 down to verse 36 at the end of the chapter. So let's read God's word together. And after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And we end our reading there this morning. Sometimes after I read the Bible, I like to just have a, a few moments in quietness before we come to, to look at this passage. So let's just reflect for a few moments as we prepare to, to look at this passage together. Well, I wonder, have you ever had a case of mistaken identity? I have my contact lenses in this morning, but usually I wear my glasses, and I have terrible eyesight. I'm the sort of person who goes to the opticians, and you memorize the first letter on you know, the board you have to read, because I can never see it. I have terrible eyesight. And sometimes that gets me in a bit of trouble. 
and sometimes I have cases of mistaken identity. And there was one time particularly that I remember a couple of years ago, and I was on a beach, and I was wearing contact lenses, and sometimes when you're on the beach, and if anyone who wears contact lenses will know this, you know, if the sand's whipping up into your eyes or the sun's in your eyes, sometimes it's quite difficult to see. And as I was walking along the beach, someone came up to me, and they said, hello, Daniel, how are you? So I said hello, and through the small amount that I could see at that time, it looked like a guy I knew called Dave. So I spoke away to Dave for about five or ten minutes, talked about how he was getting on, what he was doing, how things were going, etc., 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 and I thought a little bit to myself that his answer seemed a little strange. But didn't think any more of it, off I went. A few months later, I was down in Dave's church, um, speaking there, and afterwards I was talking to Dave, and I said, Dave, it was great to see you on the beach that day. Hope you enjoyed the rest of your day. And he looked at me confused. Daniel, I wasn't on the beach. I didn't see you on the beach. I said to him, oh, yeah, you did. And I talked about the place where we were and the conversation that we had. He said to me, Daniel, that wasn't me. And to this day, I still don't know who I was talking to on the beach at that time. But that conversation would have made no sense to them whatsoever. A case of mistaken identity. And I wonder, as Christians, do we ever have a case of mistaken identity? Not about other people, but about ourselves in our walks with God. Often we can lose sight of the identity we have as a Christian and what Jesus has done for us and what he's called us to, to other things. And we can fall into a case of mistaken identity and we can begin to find our identity in our performance as a Christian and keeping the rules and looking like a Christian and acting like a Christian and what's sort of acceptable as Christian things. Or we can even sometimes, if you, you serve God in the church or in other things, you can find your identity in what you do for God rather than finding our identity in God himself. And that's a challenge I want to leave with each of us this morning. Is there any hint of a mistaken spiritual identity in your life? And maybe many here will be preparing for another busy term come September in, in ministry in this church and serving God in this church, whether it be youth and children's work or crash work or, or work with older people or missionary work or pastoral visitation and 101 other things that people will do to serve God in this area. We can have a spiritual case of mistaken identity and it can impact our effectiveness to serve God and to follow God and to grow as a Christian and in all the planning and the organizing and the team bonding and publicity and effort and hours that we put into serving God, if we're not secure in our identity, it can suffer. We need a firm grasp of our identity in Christ to be effective for Christ. And that's what we find in the life of John the Baptist. He was a man that got his identity. And I've been looking at John the Baptist the last number of months, and we see someone who served God who was used mightily by God, and he did it so effectively because he got his identity right. He knew how he fitted in. He knew how he fitted with Jesus, and he knew that his identity wasn't in his popularity or in his role or in his success in life or in ministry. His identity was in the Messiah, the one that God had sent who he found and who he pointed others to. And it's summed up in that little phrase in verse 30 that we read together in chapter 3. He must increase. I must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. And as we live our lives through the ups and the downs, that's to be our identity if you're a Christian here this morning. 
as you look forward to the end of summer and church life ramping up the gears again, that's your, to be your identity as a church. He must increase. We must decrease. We're called to live like John, to have the same motto in our Christian lives and in our Christian ministry. And I just want to pick up on two things this morning, and we'll try and work through them quickly. Firstly, John's mission. John's mission. And secondly, John's motto. I didn't get a third alliterated point, but hopefully you'll forgive me for that. So there's only two this morning, John's mission and John's motto. So first of all, we have John's mission. John's mission. A few weeks ago, the sixth installment of the Mission Impossible series came out. I don't know if you're a big Mission Impossible fan. Tom Cruise is getting on a bit, but he's still making the action movies. He's still doing his own stunts. And I've watched most of them. I haven't seen the new one yet. But there's always a phrase that happens in every Mission Impossible movie. And I wonder if someone's going to be brave enough to tell me what that phrase is. I'm sure it's in the new one. It's in every Mission Impossible movie. There are two phrases. I'm looking for one of them. That's right. It's your mission if you choose to accept it. He gets an encrypted message in a phone box or something. And he gets this mission, and he's, he's, those words are said to him, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. And then there's the other line, this message will self-destruct and blah, 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 and he has to get out of there quickly. But this is your mission if you choose to accept it. John the Baptist never had that choice. He never had a chance to choose his mission. He was born into his mission. There had been 400 years of silence from the end of the Old Testament. The last prophet who came, God hadn't spoken for 400 years. The people were oppressed. They were under the control of the Romans, and they were looking for Jesus. They were looking for their Messiah coming, the one who was going to come and rescue them, the one who was going to set them free, the one who was going to bring them back to God. And there's an old couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and old Zachariah goes up into the, the temple, and an angel appears to him, and he's going to have a child. And this child is going to have a mission. He's going to prepare the way for God's chosen one. Luke 1, verses 15 to 17. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord people prepare. And at the end of Luke chapter 1, we have this wonderful description of John growing up. The child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. John was born with a mission. He didn't choose it. He was born with it. And he was equipped with the Holy Spirit to do it. He was born with a mission. And he starts his public ministry. And he goes out and he starts preaching to the people. And he preaches a message of repentance Repentance means to turn around, to turn from one thing to a new thing. Repent, he says in Matthew 3, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when you look at John the Baptist, there's nothing about him that should be appealing. He's a smelly man who lives in the desert, has a big beard, and eats locusts. There's nothing about him that should have made him successful. And yet what happens? God uses him mightily. We read that all Jerusalem and Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. God's at work. 400 years of silence, God's at work. God moved, people heard. They were convicted of the wrong things they'd done in their lives and they came to be purified. They came to be made clean and John baptized them. But he pointed to the one who would come after him who wouldn't baptize with water, but would baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
And John is the most privileged of all those prophets because he gets to point to Jesus as Jesus walks toward him and identify Jesus as the Messiah. He gets to point others to Jesus. John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As this carpenter comes towards him, he recognizes who it is. This is the Messiah, the Son of God. He sees the one who's going to go to the cross and bear our sin, and he says, Come, everyone, see, look at him. This is the one I've been talking about. This is the one I've been pointing to. This is the one who said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Here he is. Look at him. What was John's mission that he was born to do? To point other people to Jesus. To point other people to the Lamb. And he did it so well. We read in John 1, 35 to 37. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. John's mission was to call people to repentance and to point them to Jesus and what Jesus was going to do for them. He was born to do it. If you're a Christian here this morning, unlike John, you're not born into a mission, but you're born again into a mission. You're born again into a mission. We have the same mission. The Holy Spirit filled John in his mother's womb at birth. When we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And we have the same mission. The church is left on earth, and every Christian is left in this life to grow to be more like Jesus, to glorify God, and to point other people to Jesus. That's the mission that Jesus has left us with. This is your mission. And it's not something that we can choose to accept or not. It's something that we're born again to do. And it's no different to John's mission. It's to walk by the Holy Spirit. It's become strong in your faith and through the Spirit's power to go and share the good news about Jesus and to point to the cross. To live our Christian lives always following, always growing, always becoming more like Jesus and less like ourselves. You see, our families and our friendship groups and our workplaces and our schools and our communities as not some place where we leave our faith at the door and don't talk about it, but because it's the, the most natural and wonderful thing in our lives, we share it in a, an appropriate way through our character and our conversations. It's our mission. It's what we're called to do. Behold the Lamb. Look to Jesus. I came across an interesting statistic. I think a friend of mine put it up on Facebook recently. If you look across the Gospels, and in the Gospels there are 122 recorded contacts that Jesus had with people, conversations he had with people. Six were in the temple. Four were in the synagogue. 122 were with people going about their daily lives. Jesus, as he lived life, he talked to people about God. As I look out at this sea of faces here this morning, and I think of the hundreds of people you will come into contact with, you're a part of your lives, you have relationships with, this is your mission. And you've been born again to do it. Go and live life with them. And as you do it, through your witness and through your words, say, Behold the Lamb. Look to Jesus. 
As many of you go forward serving in this church, communicating the message of Jesus to all ages and backgrounds and nationalities, this mission must always be in the forefront of our minds, behind the programs and the planning and everything else that we do in our church-based ministries. The point is to behold the Lamb. To behold the Lamb. That was John's mission. And it's the same mission for us if you're a Christian here this morning. Secondly, uh, John's mission. Secondly, John's motto. John's motto. A few years ago, the BBC did a report, and they basically uh, interviewed and questioned 800 athletes who had recently been retired. And they, they interviewed them, and they asked them a number of questions. And more than half of those 800 athletes said that they had concerns and difficulty with their mental and emotional well-being since retiring. The problem was that their entire identity was wrapped up in their mission, their sport. And when that sport was gone, they completely lost their identity. And they struggled with it. There's a danger for us if we grasp this mission. And the danger is that we make our mission our identity. We can grasp our mission, be living it out, but slowly we find ourselves having our identity and how quickly we seem to be growing as a Christian or how we're performing in our religious effort. Or as we serve, our identity often becomes about what we do for Jesus rather than what he's done for us. How much we're appreciated by others rather than just having our identity in Jesus. It's so easy to do it, to end up with a case of mistaken identity. And that can exhibit itself in so many ways. I've seen it over my Christian life so often, this, this mistaken identity coming out. In the Christian life, how can we mistake our identity? Pride. Pride can be a mistaken identity. Where we think we're doing well as a Christian, we look around at others and they don't seem as religious as us, or they don't seem to do what we do at times, or they don't know as much as us, or they don't agree completely on all those secondary issues. And we become like the Pharisees. We look down on them. And we focus on the outward religious performance rather than the work that the Holy Spirit's doing in their lives. We become proud. Or at the other end, how can we have a, a case of mistaken identity? We can have a case of mistaken identity with guilt, where we continue to struggle with sin in our lives and failing God. And we can lose sight of the, the gospel message about Jesus, and we can place our worth and our assurance and how well we think we're doing keeping the rules. And we forget that our position isn't based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. And feelings of guilt and a lack of assurance can cripple us. And it can cause us to give up. So we don't fight sin anymore in the power of the Spirit, or we don't grow in our faith, or we don't serve according to our gifts, because we've lost sight of our identity in Jesus. What about in serving God? How can we have a case of mistaken identity? What about in control? In control. In serving God and working with others, we, we feel we must do everything. Everything stands on us. Everyone must do things our way because we know what's best. We're the most gifted. We need to lead. We stop having time for others and their opinions. And others don't get the chance to develop or grow. Control becomes our identity. Another way we can have a mistaken identity, we can be jealous of others. You know, I have uh, led the youth club in Great Vic for many years, and I love the young people around Great Vic because they just tell you exactly what they think. 
So quite often we'd have a, a, the summer team come from Newton Breeder and they'd love the week and then I'd come to pick them up the next week on the bus and they'd say to me, oh, who's taking us today? And I'd say, oh, it's me. And they'd be like, oh, no, not you. What about so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so? And I'm thinking to myself, they were only there for a week. I've been here for five years with you. Sometimes we can do that, can't we? We can become jealous of others. We were the cool person who did it for a long time. Now other people have come in and we're just taken for granted. Someone else is in the limelight. And we can't be happy for them. We can't bless God for what he's doing through them because jealousy has become our identity. How else can we mistake our identity? Sometimes we can't let go. We can't let go. We become tired and steel in serving God or in doing a particular ministry and we just keep doing it because it's become our identity. We do that role. We don't pray about it anymore. We don't put time in it to see it grow. We just go through the motions. Why else can we mistake our identity? Sometimes we can crave praise and success. We can find our worth and how valued we feel in what we do for God. Whether people who are, who are serving respond to us and pat us in the back and praise us. We lose sight of wanting to hear that well done of God when we stand before him someday. And all we're interested in is the well done of others. There's some of the dangers in this life and as we serve God when we have a case of mistaken identity. Our mission can become our identity. And this so easily could have happened to John the Baptist. His mission could have become his identity. But what saved him from that? What saved him was his motto. Here in John 3, 22 to 36, John has pointed people to Jesus. Jesus has begun his ministry. Jesus is also preaching the same message that John preached. He's also baptizing. And in verse 22, we read he's in John's territory, the Judean countryside. And there's a problem for John's disciples. They get into a debate about purification with a, a Jewish person. And that purification was the imagery behind baptism. And that spills over into concern that John's going to end up in the background because Jesus is on their turf and he's taking all their followers. They come to him in verse 26 and they say to John, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. What are they saying? It's not fair. We were doing this first. This was our message. This is our symbol. This is our, inner, our area. You honored this Jesus. You pointed to him as the Messiah, but now he's taking everyone away from us. And we're going to be left with nothing. And John teaches them a lesson. And he explains them, anything we do for God is a gift from God. And he reminds them again, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Savior. I am not the Christ. I've told you it all along. And he sums it up with this motto in verse 30. He must increase. I must decrease. Jesus must become greater and I must become less. It's about him. It's about him being known. It's about him being followed. It's about his identity becoming clear. His cross being presented. It's not about me. It's not about me. And his goal was to grow closer to Christ, to make more of Christ. And his personal limelight, his personal success fades into the background. He gets his identity right. His identity is in Christ. Not in what he does for Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. And he gives this beautiful image. Verse 29. 
The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Have you ever get the privilege of being part of the bridal party at a wedding? It's an honor. If you're the best man or a groomsman or the maid of honor or a bridesmaid. At that wedding, it's not about you, is it? Of course not. It's about the bride and groom. You know that. It's about that person that you care about and you want to serve. And as the bride is presented to the bridegroom, you rejoice with them. The bride is not for you. The bride is for the groom. And the best man and the maid of honor, they gladly decrease so that the one they care about might increase. And that's the image that John uses here. He got it. He rejoices as the groom, the eternal son of God, was presented with his bride, the church, for the start of the marriage. And he had the privilege to look on and to see it. To be involved in bringing the bride to the groom. To see men and women recognize their need of God and come and admit their mistakes and repent and be forgiven and find their Messiah. And where's John going to end up? Soon he's going to be in prison. And after that, his head is going to be on a platter. That's how he ends up. But he's rejoicing in heaven that the bride has found the groom. He could so willingly die to self and stay in the background because he got it. He got his identity. Verse 26, whoever believes in the Son has life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This bride is coming for this eternal marriage. And John's happy to step in the background that Jesus might go forward and people might gain eternal life. That's not easy. That's not easy. And I don't have time to go into it, but if you want to later on read Matthew chapter 11, at times John the Baptist didn't find this easy. As he's lying locked up in prison and everything's gone wrong, he sends a message to Jesus at his lowest and he says, are you the one we're looking for? Or do we look to someone else? He struggled when it was all stripped away from him. And when we're honest, when times in life are difficult, when we're, we feel like God's abandoned us, we can feel like John. At times when we're working with others and our human nature takes over and we find more of our identity in what we do for God rather than what God has done for us, we feel discouraged, alone, useless, and overlooked. And in that passage in Matthew 11, Jesus just reminds John who he is. Look what I'm doing. He reminds him who he is. There'll be times in our Christian lives that that's what we need to do. Because the reality is it's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's about him. So whatever you do for God, whether you serve in this church or you go and live your Christian life out and about, we have a mission for a season. There are many who have gone before us. God willing, there will be many after us when we hang up our boots. And they'll be the ones that are being used. This is our time at the minute. This is our mission at the minute. Grasp your mission. It's the same as John's. To live for Jesus and to show others who Jesus is and what he's done for him. Live out your Christian life wherever God has placed you, growing more and more every day. But don't let your performance 
or what you do become your mission or become your identity. He's always to be increasing. We're always to be decreasing. It's not about us. We are to stand at the side and beam as the bride comes to the bridegroom. He must increase. We must decrease.